Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of One Vision. This is a super, super special edition for all of us because we are celebrating the two hundredth episode of what was once called the Rhetoric Podcast, and I think we kind of changed identity a little bit midway. We've stuck with One Vision for a while now, so I am so happy. To be back here and reunited with my partners in crime, Mr. Arun and Mr. Bradley, and it is a treat. Before we keep going, I want to kick off this episode by thanking Arun for having this idea and starting the podcast four years ago, planting the seed, and letting us run with it. It's Changed quite a bit from how it started, but Arun, my dear, thank you so much. And I want to look back at four years. Four years ago, you and Effie started the podcast. How did that come about? Sure. Before before I go into that, I think、um, I should thank you and Brad because you've you've done a fantastic job of taking this forward and 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 I think consistently keeping the content coming out every week. It's not a joke. Uh, so hats off to you both.、Um, okay, the way it started, I think with myself and Effie, we were writing for Daily FinTech at that time. I still remember the call that I was having with Effie because、um, we used to publish articles on Daily FinTech and compare notes on what what our thoughts are、uh, on on different topics. And one of the things we noticed was we were thinking quite alike on on the on the Web three blockchain based topics. Uh, not that we we had、uh, disagreements on other topics, but we we had quite a lot of similar vision about the space. And I still remember I was I was sat just outside the、uh, Green Shoes offices、uh, at Berkeley Square, and I was having this call. And we suddenly stumbled upon the thought that we should probably create a content platform. I think that's how it happened.、Um, and and then one thing led to the other, and we started lining up people we could talk to and. Um, and and then the usual stuff that happens、uh, while while you while you、uh, create a lineup for a podcast、uh, series. So that was fascinating. I learned a lot through that process. I met a lot of fascinating people,、um, and、uh, and it's 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 been fascinating since then.、Uh, the, just just being on top of the Web three space has been awesome. I knew you were gonna loop in Web three. I just knew it.、Um, <laughs> I still remember. For those of you who are listening in and didn't know how this transpired, it was almost one full season in when you were running that first season with Effie on blockchain, and I got this random LinkedIn message from this random person. Sorry, you're not Mister Random anymore, but back then you were random. Says, hey, you know, Theo. Da, 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 da. By the way, I am going to be in the area visiting family year round. That was interesting. Look,、hmm, okay. And I still remember talking to Brad. I said, well, you know, I'll, you know, have a coffee with them and see what's up. And I remember we met at Pete's Coffee, and I got so excited afterwards because I'm like, wait a minute, I actually talked a guy into letting me host a podcast on aging adults. How cool is that? I, I mean, nobody wanted to talk about aging. Nobody wanted to talk about longevity. 
um, and and what technology can do. It was, I think, it's still very much a taboo topic because we all thought we're none of us going to get older, um, and yet here you were, you fully embraced it, and that was how the first our first episodes came about, and it's been three years now for me. I think the one thing I love the most is it gave us a platform to bring in different people that we thought are really cool or have really, really interesting ideas and give them the platform and share the ideas with the people in our circle. And I think that was the power of the internet, for lack of better words, um, looking at what can technology do. Technology can do this. It can spread ideas to all different corners of the world. I remember um, Red Envelope, that's one of my favorite season, where we talked a lot about FinTech in India and China and the Far East, and still fascinated by everything that's going on in the other side of the world, because let's face it, we're still writing checks. Um, what about you, Brad? Well, I, I remember it um, a little bit differently, uh, because I think I got a call and it said, I, I met this guy and we're going to do a podcast. It wasn't like, I'm going to do a podcast. And if you want to take part, it was we're going to do part of the podcast. And um, and at the time, I was like, well, a podcast, a podcast. I wasn't really listening to podcasts then. And I didn't really quite, you know, based on the writing that we had done, the people that we had met and been on stages around the world with and the rest, I was like, why a podcast? And it was interesting timing. I mean, you know, four years ago, just about, I think I've probably taken part in like 130 of the episodes, at least, if not a little bit more. And I think about what has transpired since then. And you know, never having met Arun, although he came to the Bay Area and I missed him then, and I've been to London since and missed him then, um, we will one day meet in person. But uh, I will say that, you know, of the people that we've spoken to, what did it do? It, it gave a lens, I think, because it broadened who we spoke to. And it also provided this great sort of backdrop to so much writing in the last three years and to the writing of the book and to the meeting of so many people around the world. And it just shows us that the power of voice still matters, the power of stories still matter, and the connection between uh, people and ideas really matter. And so I would just say, you know, to, to Arun and, and to you, Theo, this, the, the thank you um, for being able to take part, because I think, you know, the, the trajectory of the last few years would have been very, very different and I think during the pandemic, especially, it was very cathartic to every week have this conversation with different people and different viewpoints, which was, it's all part of it. I thought the pandemic was for us to write a book. I mean, actually, yeah, all, all three of us. I mean, that was kind of crazy looking back at the last four years, right? Arun, you had two books that came out. That's insane. Um, I still had not finished your first one, by the way. That one was really hard. It, 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 the blockchain it, one? Yeah. We had it, a great episode about the blockchain one. Arun was actually, episode. one, surprised that I read it, and two, surprised that I asked really hard questions. I, and I thought that was a great episode. It. it was a great episode. It was a wonderful book. People still talking about it. And Arun still has it pinned on his Twitter feed. I enjoyed his second book, Restart Up, and I wrote that forward that never appeared, but I thought it was a great book because 
looking now, what, a year and a half later since it was published, it is even more relevant now than how it was before. Because I remember when the pandemic first started, we did this episode and we're all like, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky did fall, but money didn't stop flowing. And now money is kind of slow down a little bit. I think, you know, we talked about there's still a lot of money out there, but investors are getting a little bit more conscious, which, you know, they should have done in the first place. Please don't fund everything that fluff. Fund what matters and work on what matters. Going back a little bit to the fundamentals um, might not be the worst thing. How do you remember the last four years, Arun? Uh, before I answer that, I have to say the forward issue has been now fixed. The publishers have put a new uh, batch of books online so that the, if you if you ordered something from Amazon now, it should have uh, Theo's forward onto my second book. Uh, so All right. It was just, <laughs> I do love the stories though. I, you interview so many people and there were so many worthwhile lessons in there. For any of you guys who are listening or gals, please do get a copy of the restart up because it goes into what should you do when the economy is not doing well and how do you survive and thrive? And there was a lot of good tidbits in there. And I like the graphics too. Those were cool. Cheers. I mean, the last four years are going back to your question. Um, I think, as you said, two books, I've changed three jobs, which is, which is a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> Uh, finished Green Shows Capital in 2020, was planning to do our next fund and then COVID happened. Um, so had to find the job and Delphos happened. And two years later, I'm at Bullivers, um, started as an advisor and got sucked into the Web3 uh, rabbit hole in some sense. Uh, so that's uh, that's been a fascinating journey. Uh, I would have liked it to be a lot more consistent and planned. Unfortunately, that's what it's been a few volatile years, uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, what do you call it, inaction uh, or, or uneventful uh, few months could help, uh, as I said. I think, when, I, I still remember, I think, we, we, when we recorded the episode for end of last year and you asked what, what you want for the next year, I said a little bit of uh, l- less activity, less drama, um, uh, and, and, and uh, I, do, I don't want a very eventful year but 2022 has been so much drama since uh, i mean the war has come upon us we are into inflation territory gas prices um and and the queen more recently it's it's been so many events 2022 has been has has given us um yeah uh, but but personally i think um, i think it's been some of the bits that i took to closure um has given me a lot of a lot of comfort. Uh, would I have done a few things differently? Maybe a couple of things differently, um, particularly around my career. But um, yeah, no regrets. Uh, but but a lot of learnings. Yeah, I just um, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Two books and uh, three jobs, and you have like four jobs now. I just, I just I never <laughs> really catch up. I, I tried to send Arun an email and it's like it bounced back from two or three different addresses. And I'm like, I don't even know like what, you know, how to communicate with this guy anymore, but everybody's on WhatsApp or whatever, I suppose. Uh, I don't know that the last, you know, the last four years are blurred since we started all this. And I would say that the lessons of the pandemic, I think, have long been lost, it seems, because we 
forget what community is like um, from those early days. And, you know, when, when the world throws at you um, some tragedies, whether it be a war or whether it be a continuation of thoughtlessness on behalf of some people toward others that may be immune compromised because of this pandemic and people refusing to wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. There's just a lot of just inconsiderate behavior that continues. And I think the corporate behavior, you know, sometimes isn't all that different in the way that we're looking at some of the layoffs starting um, going into the recession. I think, you know, it's, there's a lot of short-sightedness and inconsideration that continues to happen in the world. And we need better stories of, of good. We need better stories of hope. And I think a lot of what we covered in the book and a lot of the people that we talked to on this podcast have inspired others in so many ways and um, shown us that regardless of you know, the, the inequities in funding, regardless of the inequities of our communities, there are people and groups and teams and companies that are ever forward going with that optimism and changing the world you know, from what's happened with Patagonia and their founder and what they've done with that company um, there are other business models. There are always alternatives to just this relentless form of capitalism that has sort of sucked in the world. So that, that gives me you know, hope <laughs> because of the people that we talk to. I was waiting for you to use that word extraction because that's one of your favorite when it comes to talking about our industry, as well as the models of a lot of businesses. I, I do agree with you. And there was a recent article uh, that came out that uh, it was uh, capturing some of what Dan Schulman said in an event. And I'm going to read this verbatim because I, I think it was very thoughtful. He said, too many people who are left out of the system who struggle to make ends meet and don't believe in the American dream anymore. They tend to radicalize to the far left or far right. How do we strengthen our democracy by thinking more broadly? It was very gutsy for a big company CEO to come out first to talk about politics, especially when our society is so divided, but also to, to get us to think, right? Because I think looking back, in the last few years, one of the biggest things I feel that happened and took hold in our country has been we're more fragmented than before. We're more polarized than before. You're either black or white. You can't be in the middle. We can't even have a conversation. In the old days, we can agree to disagree. We can still be civil about it. I don't see any of that civility anymore. It's gotten more extreme. We've gotten, in some ways, you can say more passionate about what we believe in, but less accommodating to, to be willing to listen to other people. And I do fear you see that sentiment starting to trickle down, not just within the adults, it's also with kids. I see that in our education system. I see a lot of the efforts trying to ban books for crying out loud in our school library. I see parents instructing their children to film their teachers so that they use that as an evidence to file complaint against teachers. I mean, there are all kinds of these things happening and I do worry 
not just how we are as a society, but also how are we teaching our kids and how to behave? What is the word being civil? What does that mean anymore? And then you start looking at from a judiciary level on all the things that's happening. You start looking at the laws and how different laws are being interpreted differently in different jurisdictions, not just within the United States, but also deglobalization. You see businesses moving. You see businesses being stuck in the middle between governments. You see governments trying to instill laws in one sense, saying we want to protect the freedom of speech. For example, what recently the uh, Texas did, but in essence, giving people a free pass to say, "Yeah, you can be racist. You can do all these things on the digital platform because you have the freedom of speech." Where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line?、Um, Is there even、I've, a line? Well, we 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 had you know exactly so, so, so we 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 among the many things that we covered in the podcast, we we talk a lot of, about books, and we talked about. New Dark Age by Bridle, and that was a, a particularly dark book and a particularly dark episode with very little hope at the end. And I'm reading、um, on TechCrunch about how Meta is apparently continuing, despite Apple's trying to block、uh, harvesting data via loopholes. And you know, the business model of these companies, which we talk a lot about Beyond Good, and talk a lot about with founders on this, you know, podcast, they, it's not just extractive; it's downright. Ridiculous what they do with our data and how privacy is just thrown out the window, and it's just quest for profits and control and you know longevity of these businesses that really don't deserve to be there. So I'm not really down necessarily. I just you know I look at some of this information that that we get in a, on a daily basis, and because I think the economy is so gloomy and there's been a lot of sort of less than happy、um, politics around the last couple of years. It's hard to be incredibly uplifted by some of the news, and I think it has a lot to do with what we featured recently、um, on some of these conversations, like with Mary Zavetto from TechCrunch、um, and others that have talked about how the news is covered. I think we have to be very cognizant of how we perceive the news, how we, you know, sort of learn ourselves about what's happening in the world, and I think that the media, you know, also just plays on that because what what makes more headlines. Get clicked. What makes people watch more? It's sensationalism. It's you know things that honestly don't have a lot of thought process to them. It's about a visceral sort of movement toward that content, and a lot of that has to be either negative or sensational or things that matter less. And everything that we see on these social platforms and in media tends to be very, very you know put there just so we could click, just so money could be made. So. If you're out there listening, listen to slower news, read longer books, and really be thoughtful about how you perceive things because it's not always the way that it's being portrayed. Unplug. That that's what I would say. I think I I find myself unplugging more often because I just needed a break, but. Also, I'm refinding joy and rereading books, even though I do have stacks of new books I had not read yet. But just looking at prints, because you 
the way your brain perceives information when you read a piece of paper is very different than when you're looking at headlines. When the feed is constantly refreshing in front of your eyes, you tend to hunt for headlines on things and you skip between the lines. And there's a lot to be said about thinking between the lines. I don't know, I'm getting way too retrospective. Um, Arun, let's talk about, you, you threw the word Web3 out, I knew you were gonna do that, but I thought you were gonna wait a few minutes before you do that. Let's talk about like, what else has been happening in this space? Give us something positive to think about. Sure, I mean, I think there's been a huge mindset change at work in general. I think for all of us, where we've kind of uh, broken the barrier between a colleague and kind of uh, someone a person or a human being that we are working with and i i no longer look at any colleague as a just like as a colleague i i look at them okay they have a family they have a kid probably and 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 it's they are kind of juggling uh and and i have to be more empathetic i think that 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 is always at the back of your mind these days that was that was not the case pre-covid and i hope that stays because i see that some of the pre-COVID um, behaviors at workplace are starting to come back, uh, particularly in the banking world. Um, so um, I think that's been a positive, in my opinion. Um, what else has been a positive? I think the, the other positive I would say is, despite all the noise, the macro noise, the, the lack of VC funding noise, fintechs are starting to focus more on prop uh, uh, profitability instead of just growth. A lot of them are starting to show sustainable growth um, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm hearing this from CEOs and COOs that I used to work with or I used to know I used to raise funds for um, during my banking days so it's been it's been nice to hear that um, I, I, I'm sure it is not going to be a, a long-lasting uh, state status quo it's going to change as soon as the money comes back which it will uh, but that's been a good change as well uh but yeah i mean that's that's been fascinating to see th those changes and and uh, the other thing without uh, going too much into the web3 world um this would probably be the first time that uh, the web3 world is tested going to be tested against or put through a recession i haven't seen that happen since 2008 I mean, 2008 was when it started right with bitcoin uh, this is probably going to be the first major hopefully short recession that uh, the the Web three world is going to put be put through, and uh, that there's going to be some fascinating learnings there. So yeah, I, I don't know with with equities being down, you know, twenty percent or whatever it is year over year, depending on what your portfolio has been doing and where you've been putting it, and the crypto portfolio certainly being down more than that. Um, not a lot of financial sort of uplift, but it's interesting to see what is being funded. I mean, the other day there was a three hundred million dollar round in one company alone. I mean. There's still plenty of money. We talk about that all the time. There's always plenty of money because people are taking bets. I do think that the financial services model has continued to improve. I do think that all of the startup activity over the last 15 years has made banks like m much more attentive to what is happening. And I think that even you know sort of bleeds over for what is happening in Web3 from you know the ways the companies are being formed, the ways the communities are being formed through DAOs, the way that NFTs made us sort of rethink how people are, are sort of incentivized. I, I think all of these things have pointed to a better future for 
banking in general, for moving money in general, for the accumulation and disbursement and leverage of assets. And so I think that, you know, if, if anything, the positives are that we are part of a system that while there are a ton of structural inequities, there have been much more movements toward, you know, bringing people out of poverty and bringing people into more modern economy and giving food, water and shelter and basic needs a lift around the world. And so there's an awful lot of positives to point to. It's just we have to, regardless of where we are in the system, be part of that positive movement. And I think that so many of the people that we've featured on this over the last three, four years have really been part of that. And that's, you know, that feels good at the end of the day. That feels good intrinsically within, I think, each one of us. Um, that we're part of those conversations and part of that movement. I do agree. I think if I were to think back four years ago, would I have thought banks would have changed what they provide to consumers, right? The earned wage access, removing some of the late fees and all of those, those were features of up and coming startups at that time. And the fact that a lot of banks have adopted that, knowing that consumers need help, knowing that that's what people want in, you know, the, the service offerings from the banks, that was positive. Um, I think in the weeds of things with everything that's been going through, it's easy to get jaded and look at, oh, yeah, so what's new? That is new. That is a new development, and that is a new development that is good for consumers. Now, I surely do hope that banks can continue that and go beyond it because, Arun, just like what you were talking about, we have inflation challenges. Um, a lot of families have to decide between whether or not they want to turn on the heat this winter or put food on the table. It, those should not be choices that that shouldn't we shouldn't have come to that. Just like during COVID, when I remember a few of the episodes that we did, people shouldn't have to make choice between whether or not they want to feed their kids or getting medicine. That shouldn't have to be something parents have to think about. We shouldn't have had a situation where one in four kids were food insecure during COVID. That is wrong to begin with. And now we face all of that. In addition, there are climate challenges. We have people who cannot continue their livelihood because of what's happening with the environment. We have farmers that are struggling. We have climate refugees. We have people that are going through fuel property those were all things it's 2022 people we shoot people in space like what we always say and yet we can't feed the people on earth that shouldn't have happened and and but we have the technology to change it we do have a lot of the money to change it we have a lot of brain power behind the climate movement that we could make a change if we're willing and we're intentional so that is what gives me hope is that there's more focus, a little bit more urgency that we need to do something. I'm trying in here. Sure. I mean, uh, the climate part of it, I, I really kind of, uh, that definitely resonates with me. Um, I was listening to a, a conversation with, uh, between um, 
David Rubinstein and this and the chairman of uh, Cleanup Perkins and how he actually moved from pure play venture capital into climate investing. Uh, it was a great story. Uh, he actually uh, went to um, went to a movie with his daughter and then sat down with with his daughter uh, for dinner. And suddenly the, the daughter daughter basically burst out and said she was she's probably thinking about the climate change events happening around her. And she basically burst out and said, uh, Dad, it, it, it was your generation that brought us to it. You should you should <laughs> bloody fix this. Right. And then he acted straight away. He is now kind of now they have, uh, I think, three funds. Uh, KP have three funds that are focused on uh, climate change. Uh, technology he thinks um, and he, this is a guy who's invested in Amazon and it was hundred million dollars valuation um, who's invested in Google at 70 million dollars valuation give or take um, and 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 he, he basically claims that there is going to be a time soon when climate tech investments is going to be as mainstream as um, internet and social media firms kind of were attracting about 20 years ago so it's uh, it's going to be big as his claim. He's also actually uh, contributed, I think, about a one about one point two billion uh, worth of personal and friends and family capital to Stanford University's um, climate uh, arm. I don't remember the name of the the that particular unit of uh, education, but uh, they've now set that up separately at Stanford University. So there are good things happening around us in that space. It's, it's just that uh, it should be a lot more mainstream than it is at the moment. Um, that uh, it's got to be, I mean, I, I speak to, I, I know at least three of my friends that are focusing on uh, climate uh, problems that they, they're wanting to solve through, uh, I mean, again, Web3, uh, but uh, some, some really cool tech that they're using right from the infrastructure layer to app layer where some of them are even speaking to the regulators and in, on how to do things and all that. But it's there's quite a lot happening, but it often doesn't take center stage like NFTs. Uh, they're not as cool as NFTs and fintechs even. Um, uh, and and that's, that's a bit unfortunate. Uh, but they're not as sexy, right? That's how people think. Exactly. No one wants to talk about people not having food. No one wants to talk about day zero, which, by the way, that was the term I learned from you a couple of years ago. And that was what got into the book was you were talking about the water problem in India. And I remember <laughs> spending days and weeks looking at day zero India. What does that mean? And um, I, I learned a lot from you. And from just talking to people in general, and I know Brad was laughing, it, it, it opened my eyes. I know I'm jaded, and, and I live in my little bubble. But, and but, you burst but, in my bubble. But, but food, water, and shelter is something of privilege, isn't it? You know, that's, it is. that's the, the more we travel and the more we see how others live, you, you don't realize that the majority of the world doesn't actually have access to clean water. And, and it's not why. just outside the U.S. either. I mean, I know. look Absolutely. at what happens in here, in, in Jackson, Mississippi, for example, right? Or in a lot of other places where you don't have clean water in the United States. Yeah, I mean, you know, at least the government passed through this fall with $400 billion toward climate initiatives and, you know, the use of solar and alternative energies. But there's so much more that we have to do. There's so much. But I mean, think about it with, with the move in, in the last decade toward ESG goals and metrics and accountability. 
we have seen now at least reporting in standards and goals for large global banks, for large industries, you know, for companies like Apple that have now sort of been leading the charge of the change of supply chain. And when you, when you look at all of these things collectively, this is a, a movement toward trying to keep us at just a 1.5 degree you know, increase in, in global temperature. It's not going to happen, but at least if we had not had this shining of a light and the transparency over the last couple decades toward these goals, it would have been much, much worse. You know, it's already probably past that tipping point, way probably past that tipping point. But you have, you know, the, the kind of companies that, and, and examples <clears throat> that we've had on the show, like Ant Group, you know, and, and Ant Force Initiative, Aspiration, and planting millions of trees across Africa and other locations. You know, we have collectively brought in some of these stories, but it's just a tip of the things that are happening. And there's a lot to do and a lot to feature on this, you know, program, but Man, I tell you, whenever we have these conversations with people that are sort of changing the world in small and big, huge ways, it has to provide inspiration to others. And that's what it does to me. So, you know, I might have started out a little gloomy, but I'm feeling better now. I don't know. I, you just got, you got to like think about all the things that are good in the world and just let that wrap up in you. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I was just going to add to what you were, start, what you were saying about um, uh, climate change, right? Um, the inflation problem that we have today and the energy crisis that we are potentially going through and hopefully, or not so hopefully, but going going to go through this winter is probably going to be a blessing in disguise because um, Europe is now realizing that uh, they've become far too reliant on Russia's gas and they may start, they have already started uh, ramping up their nuclear energy uh, production process. And that is a lot more environmentally. That's got its own risk, without a doubt. But if if it's risk managed well, it's a lot more environmentally friendly than uh, other sources of uh, energy like coal and gas. Um, so it might might be a blessing in disguise. Uh, destiny just pushing our planet in the right direction. I don't know, but uh, it's something that's come out of all the all the volatility this year, I guess. So let's end with this. Challenges and hope. We're almost the end of 2022. I have no idea how that happened, but it happened. What do you both gentlemen look forward to in the next year? You know, I, I will say that it's a continuation of what we've seen over the last year is just getting to see people again and getting to have alternative sort of mindsets put into you from real people in real places in real time. Uh, that alone, along with being very, very aware of how you consume information and ideas, I think has been what's been, been missing from me at least over the last couple of years during the pandemic. And it's, you know, Finnovate in New York last couple of weeks or other events that are upcoming, you know, through the end of the year and into next year. It's like, we want to get back to being able to see people again. I think we're still, some people at least, are still a little shy about seeing people in, in person, and, and I'm probably up there too. Um, but we need to socialize once again. And so to me, it's like just getting interaction with people from across the world with different viewpoints and to grab on to those people that are fighting the good fight 
and uh, be inspired by them. That's that's part of what I'm looking forward to in the next year. Sure. My my take is going to be more on the Web3 side. Uh, I have to bring some Web3. Come on, Theo. Um, uh, I think uh, I'm really looking forward to some institutional adoption uh, towards uh, Web3 assets or digital assets, rather. It, it has taken off since, I think, probably late 2020. Uh, we, we've seen BlackRock. I think they've so far invested about 1.2 billion, and now they've got this coin-based relationship and all that. If BlackRock is in, I think that's a huge thumbs up for the whole space. I think uh, that's going to potentially start getting more um, more common to see these names come into the space. We have um, we have now Ethereum that's gone through the uh, merge, as we call it, and it's gone from proof of work to proof of stake, which is 99% more environmentally friendly. So that's a huge, that's a massive element for this. And some people who are uh, some really uh, experienced hedge fund managers have actually said this could be uh, the Ethereum um, staking returns could actually be seen as the risk-free rate of the crypto market in some sense. So it's it's been considered as such a pivotal moment, probably just after uh, the Bitcoin um, or the inception of Bitcoin uh, back in 2008. So I think all these things are coming together. We just need to make sure that the regulatory elements are clarified in terms of what the treatments are. And hopefully once that is done and once this, the, the macro climate starts getting a little bit more friendly, I think institutional capital is going to start flowing in and that's hopefully going to start next year. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I knew you were going to say that, Arun. Um, <laughs> I am looking forward to turning 50 next year. It's going to be super cool. I told my kids that congratulations, you have another 50 years, you're going to be stuck with me. Um, so I, I do hope if we could get the three of us together, I cannot believe that the two of you had not met. So we need to fix that. Um, I hope that we can continue good conversations. I hope that we'll keep the stories coming because there are still so many amazing people doing really, really amazing stuff. I feel like every day I keep seeing new founders that are working on things for the better of people, for the environment. Um, I put out a tweet recently and asking for, you know, when we think about tech for good, what do we think about? There were all kinds of ideas and there are all kinds of people doing really, really amazing things. So if there's one hope that I have for the next year and for the future is that we become more intentional in bringing those stories up and giving visibility to those people that are going, doing amazing things. Because we have the platform, we have the audience, all of you who are listening, we are very thankful and grateful for you sticking with us for four years. And hopefully you will continue to listen to us. So thank you so much for tuning in and happy 200. And we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>